a lot of people would probably be surprised to learn that one of the most widely traded stocks in the Canadian market isn't one of the big banks. That's kind of what we would default to. In fact, if we look on a regular basis at a trading volume level, it's a company that you probably already own in one way or another, and that company is Enbridge. When I say that you probably already own this company, it's not necessarily that you own it directly as a shareholder, although many people do, but if you're a member of a pension plan, good chance you own it. If you own an ETF or a mutual fund, a very good chance that you own shares of Enbridge within that structure. If you're a member of a group RRSP that's managed with a fund or a, a segregated fund through an insurance company, highly good chance as well that you own shares of Enbridge already. In this video today, I'm going to go through this widely held, huge Canadian company, and I'm going to give you an analysis of the company itself. This is going to be a neutral look at the company. I'm not touting it. I'm not slamming it. I'm just saying because so many of our fellow Canadians own it, probably you, it probably would be good to go and understand um, the history of the company, what the company actually does, and probably really importantly, what the direction of the company is. So we're gonna do that in today's video. I will remind you that the first link below, if you're interested in learning more about investing in general, is for our investing academy. Feel free to check that out. When it comes to Enbridge, and this is not gonna sound neutral, but it is meant to be, Enbridge is truly uh, crucial to the entire infrastructure of the North American energy distribution channel. The company trades on the TSX as well as the New York Stock Exchange, but here in Canada, it trades for around $53 Canadian at the time of this filming and has about $107 billion market cap. Notably, the company pays around a 7% dividend, which can be very attractive for many people. From a geographical perspective, the company operates across many Canadian provinces down through approximately 30 U.S. states down uh, offshore uh, in the Gulf of Mexico and more recently is developing a wind farm network in various parts of Europe. In the investing world today, quite rightly, there is quite a focus on the ESG uh, part of investing, so environmental and then social and corporate governance. And if this is something that is important to you, and probably in a, a sector like the energy sector, it probably is, if you're even willing to give the sector a look, I am going to put a, a fair bit of focus on that, what they're doing in that regard a little bit later um, in the video. But for now, I just want to go through a little bit more about what the company does. Um, so stay tuned for that, if that's something that is a concern to you. Enbridge is the largest transporter of crude oil in Canada, and they transport around 3 million uh, barrels a day of oil and other liquids. Their pipeline is the world's largest crude oil and liquids pipeline system, and it has around 27,000 kilometers of crude uh, pipeline, which is actively being used in both the Canada and the U.S. today. It also owns, operates, and builds a network of natural gas transmission pipelines across North America, uh, which connects Canada, the U.S., and all the way down to Mexico. The company also has this growing sustainability wind farm exposure in Europe. Overall, like I say, it has around 27,000 kilometers of liquids pipelines and then another 121,000 kilometers of natural gas pipelines. When we look at some of the many positives that this company brings to the table, uh, one of the things we look for is predictable cash flow. And the company has about 98% of its cash flows either contracted or at a cost of service. So very, very dependable, very reliable. 95% of their customers are investment grade. They have about less than 2% of their cash flow at risk. I'm going to talk more about their credit rating when I get into the debt section of this analysis. When you look a bit deeper at their cash flow, you'll see 
a broad diversification from mainline market access, US transmission, Canadian gas transmission, gas transmission, all the way up to power. Again, about 98% in total that is contracted. When you look at that liquids pipeline itself, they do connect some of uh, North America's strongest basins. So if you look at about 75%, a little more than 75% uh, of the entire uh, capacity they have access to, and they transport themselves about 67% or two thirds of Canadian crude exports. Looking at their portfolio and specifically their business mix, about 58% comes from their liquids pipelines. And then you have gas transmission with 26, gas distribution at about 12%, and a small but growing percentage uh, coming from renewable power, which is currently about 4%. Enbridge truly is a historic Canadian company. And the first major oil discovery in uh, Canada was in Leduc, Alberta back in 1947. And within two years, in 1949, the company had built their first pipeline and were already shipping oil from Leduc to Regina, Saskatchewan. In the first year of that operation, the company shipped 30 million barrels of oil. Now we fast forward to today, every single day today, the company is shipping around 3 million barrels. So about 10 days worth of oil in what it took for a full year back in 1949. The company wasn't born with this name Enbridge as we know it today. It was formed in 1949 and originally it was called the Interprovincial Pipeline Company. And when we think about it, that was 73 years ago and the world has changed so much for then. For context, the Lucky Lady airplane completed the first nonstop circumnavigation flight after 94 hours and one minute of travel. Now that is precise. The book 1984, for those of you who are old enough to remember that book and for the times we're living in today, how predictive are elements of that book. And the NBA was formed. It had its first season back in 1949 as well. The company went through a number of name changes, but it became Enbridge finally in 1998. And the name Enbridge is a portmanteau. It's a combination of two words, uh, energy and bridge. And it sounds pretty simple, but that's where the word Enbridge comes from. Now, a little bit more recent history in 2016, Enbridge bought Houston-based Spectra Energy for about 28 billion. And this deal closed in 2017 and it created the largest energy infrastructure in North America. And in fact, one of the largest in the entire world. As I mentioned just a little bit earlier, uh, the company is transporting about 20% of natural gas that's consumed in the United States and about 25% of North America's crude oil is transported through uh, Enbridge. So that's kind of a snapshot of uh, the overview of what Enbridge does. For those of you who own it and don't really know what the company does, hopefully that gives you a pretty good idea. Um, I'm going to talk for a moment about this environmental and the social and corporate governance um, aspect of investing, the ESG. And there is a significant element of the population, uh, investors or not, who um, believe, you know, and I'm to each their own, that oil is bad. And of course, it is a very controversial area of, of the economy in general, but specifically here in Canada, where it forms such a big part of what we do. I would extrapolate that and I would say almost by definition, if you belong to that part of society that believes that oil is bad, you probably also believe that transporting oil is bad. And what I am hoping to do here is just um, maybe throw some light on the situation. And again, as I said earlier, I'm not advocating for Enbridge. I'm saying that it is one of the largest companies in Canada. It's owned by a lot of people. So uh, maybe give it a fair shake and see what, what direction they're headed and then make a final decision as to whether uh, the company is suitable for you. Enbridge truly is um, a leader in renewables. And this is something that um, 
is becoming more and more of a focus on. And this uh, transition from uh, where we are today to this fully green economy um, isn't going to take a few years. This is going to take uh, decades uh, from now uh, until when that, that full transition has occurred. So if you believe that a company is moving in that direction and maybe you want to uh, cut them a little bit of slack because they're, they're moving, I think you'll find this next section of the presentation fairly enlightening. In 2001, Enbridge released its first annual sustainability report. And more recently, in November of 2020, um, it expanded its environmental, social, and government's goals and targets. In 2021, they said, we believe that prevention of accidents and injuries and the protection of our environment benefits everyone and delivers increased value to our shareholders, customers, and employees. Now that was written 21 years ago. And words, of course, are much easier than actual actions. So let's look at the specifics of what the company has actually done, not just what they've said. And if we look back from uh, the 1949 chart through to today, we'll see that beginning of that single purpose crude oil pipeline. And as we move through the timeline, we see things like as far back as 2002, the company bought their first onshore wind farm. Then we see solar, we see offshore wind, we see hydrogen development, more recently solar self power. Through to today, where fully 46% of EBITDA comes from natural gas and low carbon investments. The company is probably on the right track, but as I said, this is not a quick transition. And if we take a, uh, just a little step back, let's look at where we are today and just continue along this path of where we're going. Enbridge says, and I agree with them, that today, where we are today, um, the role of conventional energy remains a very, very important. If we look specifically at Enbridge as a deliverer of these types of investments, we think of all these products that we use from electronics, pharmaceuticals, you know, just look through this chart here. There are so many different things that rely on crude oil for their production today and rely, of course, by definition on the delivery of that crude oil. And that's the uh, that is a role that Enbridge plays. When we look at the energy fundamentals outlook, the global demand is certainly seeing a shift. We're seeing the, you know, the, the bottom of the list there, we're seeing coal in a playing a declining role, crude oil slightly increasing, but, um, but fairly steady still, natural gas, same. We see that little green sliver, which is wind and solar, and clearly it is a small but growing portion. We see biofuels, and then we see at the top end of that chart, other. And so others include uh, modern solid bioenergy, hydro, nuclear, and traditional biomass. If we're looking at this from a supply and exports uh, context, those are expected to grow over the next while. When we look at how this pertains to Enbridge itself, we can look at the opportunities that they have over all of these segments, strictly from an investment perspective, where is this company going? When we look at the opportunities that they have, even in their organic opportunity set. We see all of their key areas, gas transmission, gas distribution, liquid pipelines, and renewable power, a big player in there. As far as the energy transition world is concerned, again, uh, a wide matrix here of opportunities, areas that they're playing in right now. Some will decline, some will continue to grow. So when we look at this chart going back to 1949 to where we are today, uh, I believe that this these uh, improvements will just continue to move along. Enbridge has stated their emission goals of reducing their CO2 emissions by 35% by 2030 and having net zero emissions by 2050. So you have to look, are they putting their money where their mouth is or is this just more talk? If we look at their capital allocation plans, we can see clearly 
that uh, what they've stated now, they are putting money into new projects which are focused on the sustainability side of the equation. When it comes to delivering on these commitments that they've made back in their bold statement, if we look at their safety or their commitment to safety, we can see that in fact they are outshining uh, their peers, their competition. They are reducing emissions as they've stated and they are uh, making strides from an employer perspective to diversify their workforce. We're going to talk a little bit more about that aspect of their ESG uh, component uh, coming up real soon. I want to talk for a moment about their uh, technology and innovation centers that the company has developed. They have created or opened two of these centers, one in Calgary and one in Houston. So these are um, innovation labs that use uh, things like predictive algorithms or machine learning, uh, sentiment analysis. And what they do is they find efficiencies within the company to help improve safety and reliability of their pipeline infrastructure. In addition to this, the labs have developed ways to get data uh, from pipelines using sensors, and it helps with the things like the flow of the natural gas um, and the crude oil tournaments. These technology and innovation initiatives have helped detect uh, leaks, so their, their pipeline leak detection is better. And of course, that's going to help out in their maintenance schedule. And for renewable projects, the labs have developed you know, seemingly simple things like repositioning wind turbine blades to maximize power generation. When you look specifically at the renewables update in the most recent report, you see that um, offshore wind uh, developments, progressions there um, over in Europe and in the in North America here on the onshore renewables development. Again, you're seeing growth in you know, operating solar self-power, uh, solar self-power and execution, etc. on down the line. You will recall that statement in their first uh, report that they put out 20 years ago that uh, they were focused on uh, basically being a good employer. And in that respect, I'm just going to sort of look at some human resources initiatives that they've taken. But in 2021, um, Enbridge was recognized as one of Canada's top 100 employers for the 18th time. So almost since that report first came out and as one of Canada's best diversity employers for the seventh time. Their stated ESG goals were to diversify its workforce with 28% representation from racial and ethnic groups and 40% with women by 2025. And when we see where they're coming along in those goals, uh, not at their targets yet, but certainly moving in the right direction. It seems like they have placed a strong emphasis on this and are following through with that. From their board perspective, whether it's um, gender diversity, whether it's committee chair diversity, racial ethnic diversity, age, tenure, independent, whatever the metric is, you'll see them again moving closer and closer to that objective. So I think the company is doing a lot of the right things from that ESG perspective. Uh, when you look at where the company is going, specifically in that um, more environmentally friendly area, uh, some areas of opportunity that they're exploring right now, if you look at their low carbon energy outlook, a huge focus on wind and solar between now and 2030, gas distribution, gas transmission, expansion of their carbon capture and storage efforts, and in their renewable natural gas and hydrogen work as well, whether it's natural gas, whether it's hydrogen, uh, again, we see a strong focus in those areas. If you look at their overall portfolio today when it comes to low carbon output, uh, wind, solar, uh, natural gas, you see a continued commitment into all of this sustainability. So I think the company is doing a lot right in that regard. Um, when you when you look at this transition from the uh, fossil fuel um, carbon type products uh, right through to the you know the, the wave of the future, so I think the company is um, putting good efforts in there. You would be the judge for you whether this is 
uh, whether they're doing enough. Now let's look at the financial status of the company right now. And I wanna start with a couple of, uh, of key points. Number one, 95% of the contracts, I mentioned this earlier, are with investment grade customers. And these are including regulated uh, utilities. So something I always look for uh, with any entity that I wanna own shares of is the reliability, the predictability of that cash flow of those revenues and certainly in an environment like this um, those are there another thing that might surprise a lot of people because we think of this as, as um, energy as sort of being this one uh, big area only about two percent of the company's cash flows are exposed to commodity prices when we look at this from a couple of different perspectives we do see continued strong performance of the company during uh, commodity cycles, whether that's on a, an EBITDA perspective, as we see in this first chart, or when we look at simply on as a return as a shareholders, the orange line being the return on Enbridge shares and the black line representing crude oil. So we can see that they're not necessarily operating in tandem. And this makes a lot of sense because even though it's in the energy sector, um, this uh, company transports or distributes the energy that is um, you know, pulled out of the ground. And so if there is a spike in the price of energy, that's not going to directly relate. As long as they're still you know, pushing the, the oil through the pipes or the natural gas through the pipes, uh, that's not going to affect the company directly. And on, by the same token, uh, when there is a drop, as there inevitably will come again in the price of these the raw supplies, that's not going to affect because they're still moving them. The companies producing them are going to be taking the hit on that, not um, not Enbridge itself. Um, from a financials perspective, let's look at the most recent results, which just came out about a week or so ago. So 2021 financial results, the company performed well, and I want to focus on the adjusted EBITDA and also on the distributable cash flow. And that's something that's going to come up a little bit later in the presentation as we talk about their dividends. On their three-year outlook, looking through to 2024, again, from a distributable cash flow perspective, they're looking at about a five to seven uh, percent compound annual growth rate uh, through then. And this is relevant as this takes us into a discussion about Enbridge's dividend. As I mentioned earlier, they're paying around a 7% dividend yield right now. And just a bit of history, this is uh, 67 years that they've been paying the dividend and they've raised it uh, for the last 27 years. Again, just recently with a 3% dividend in their most recent report, uh, they are paying uh, $3.34 uh, a share as their dividend right now in 2022. Uh, this in an industry that is kind of infamous for cutting dividends. So it's quite an, an admirable, um, quite an admirable achievement. Um, a lot of people will look at the payout ratio, uh, which is currently above 100. It's at about 115% right now. And the logical question would be, how is this dividend sustainable when they're paying out more than they're earning uh, when you look at it from a pure dividend payout ratio? If you look back at this chart, you'll notice that often the company is paying out 100% or more of their earnings in distribution. So this is where I get around to that distributable cash flow. So in a sector that is so capital intensive, the way that the accounting works within the energy sector is that to look at a traditional payout ratio isn't going to give you a true picture. What really matters is how much are they distributing and how much cash or cash flow do they have? Are they earning to, uh, to, to fund those distributions? Because earnings, as we know, um, isn't, uh, earnings are a, uh, an accounting term. It doesn't necessarily mean how much money a company is bringing in and how much they actually have to distribute. You have all things like depreciate, depreciation and amortization that will reduce those earnings 
make this an artificially high number. So if we look at that distributable cash flow chart from their most recent report, we'll see that their DCF per common share is $4.96 as it stands today. And you'll recall that they're paying a $3.34 dividend today. So when we take uh, that dividend flow out and we look at that $4.96% distributable cash flow number, it actually makes sense um, that despite the high payout ratio, uh, this is sustainable. In addition, when it, when it comes to return to shareholders, we'll look at their share repurchase program, which they've just renewed. They're anticipating spending up to $1.5 billion starting right now uh, to buy shares back uh, at the discretion of the board, of course. I want to look now at the debt of Enbridge, and they're currently operating with a debt load of about $76 billion of Canadian. And uh, much of that, $67 billion, is long-term debt. Like the dividend argument, um, when you look at this raw number, it's it's kind of a, a number that you have to look at the serviceability of the debt more so probably than just the debt itself or the debt number itself. Uh, before I go into those numbers, I will point out that from the uh, the large credit rating firms, we got you know Moody's, S&P, Global, uh, DBRS, Fitch Ratings, all of these have recently reaffirmed triple B status. So triple B A, triple B plus, triple B high, depending on the firm itself. So that says that these companies at least are comfortable, uh, very comfortable with the uh, the ability of this company to pay its debts, to service its debts. If you look at their 2022 funding plan, uh, they've accounted for PREFs, they've accounted for their debt maturities, uh, their capital spend. And they, again, have sort of pointed out where the sources of these funds are coming from are secure. And if you look at this from that uh, debt to EBITDA outlook, they're looking at uh, that range, their target range of four and a half to 5%. And their financials that they just released have them sitting right now at 5.1%. But they do note that these numbers reflect the completion of their line three replacement project, which was recently completed and a $3 billion acquisition um, late in 2021. So despite this um, growing um, and significant uh, debt load uh, from all the metrics that you would uh, look at to get a comfort level, I mean, it looks like the company is secure there. Uh, let's take a look at profitability. The company operates with a gross profit margin of 39%, which is in line with their uh, longer term five-year average of 38%. And uh, again, in line with about 42% roughly uh, in the sector median. And they have a 10-year compound annual growth in the gross profit margin of about 11%. From a valuation perspective, the company is operating with a PE of about 18.4 right now. And that compares to their five-year average of 37 and a sector average of approximately 16.5. And they're trading at a price to book multiple of two right at the moment. And this falls in line with their five-year average. From a revenue growth perspective, they're currently uh, generating about $47 billion in revenue. That is uh, just over a 20% in, uh, increase from year over year, but it is a, about a 6.37% five-year average. When we look at this company from a financial perspective, uh, by most accounts, um, it is in solid shape. Uh, I don't see anything you know horribly uh, horrible red flags out there that would indicate um, you should be totally suspicious of anything that's happening right now. So uh, I'm left with a comfort level from that perspective. Uh, let's look at some of the risks. And I'm just going to take this from their annual report because all companies have risks and uh, companies like this have specific risks. We'll see market risk, which of course is always 
uh, present when you are a shareholder. Uh, some of the highlighted risks that they've, uh, that, that they've indicated, foreign exchange lists, and specifically with the US dollar to Canadian dollar, we look at interest rate risk, which will have an effect on their company or possibly have an effect on their company. Commodity price risk is listed here, but as I noted earlier, that in the big scheme of things is a relatively small risk for this company, given their exposure directly uh, to the space. Equity price risk is uh, something that the company does have to manage with, and they note here that uh, they have various forms of stock-based compensation that will affect um, their earnings uh, as these are reevaluated uh, during those periods. And derivative instruments is always at play in a company. The risk there with uh, the swaps and derivatives that companies like this use in their normal day-to-day -day business operations. If you are an Enbridge shareholder and if you've made it all the way through this video, I hope this gives you a better understanding of what you own in your portfolio. It's always important, uh, especially with a big, you know, big company, a big Canadian player like this. So I uh, hope you enjoyed the video. Um, as a reminder, the first link down below is for our Investing Academy. Thank you for watching the video and I look forward to seeing you in the next video.